0: Hello, and welcome to the Sedgwick Podcast. I'm Jonathan Mast, your host today, and I am joined by Mark Debus, Manager of Behavioral Health Services at Sedgwick, and Dr. Teresa Bartlett, Senior Medical Officer at Sedgwick. Thank you both for being with us today.
1: Thanks Thanks for having us.
0: us. Well, great. I'm glad that each of you could join us, and you both have a lot to to offer on our topic today, which is uh, we're, we're talking about Mental Health Awareness Month. And thankfully, this has just continued to get uh, more and more traction over the last couple years as we've gone through the pandemic. And both of you have interviewed, written, talked extensively about it, and I don't think there's a better time to jump in and and give people more information because we're kind of starting to, we hope, return to some, whatever the new normal is. And, And one of those big things, and we'll just start with the first question is, how will returning to the office impact uh, employees' mental health? Because we are seeing more and more companies starting to put some of that into action, whether it's a hybrid, full-time, whatever that may be. So, Dr. Bartlett, we'll just start with you, and then, Mark, if you want to chime in afterwards.
1: Sure. So, in, in some respects, it'll be really good for mental health to interact socially again, and return to some level of normalcy, whatever that is, as you pointed out. One of the biggest um, problems or barriers that I'm hearing about facing the mental health of, um, of our employees or the workforce is the mental health of their children. And this has been recently in the news, Top of Mind, on educators and health officials, and even in fact, um, I read yesterday that a hundred college students a month are dying by suicide. And so, um, I think that that's going to be. It's not so much the the employees returning to the office, but what is their family situation?
2: Mark. That's a really good point. Um, yeah, a lot of the, a lot of what's coming out in the media now is really focusing on, um, the effects of the pandemic on children and, and, uh, you know, just this, this disruption. I mean, I can speak for my own family. We've certainly experienced that uh, among my nieces and nephews and they're all school aged. And, um, yeah, it's definitely something to consider you <clears throat> you know, on the topic of actually employees' mental health, though. What it was really interesting to me is this i don't know if you saw this the uh, the recent McKinsey study um, about people 's attitudes about returning to work and about a third of folks that have returned to the office have reported a negative impact on their mental health, and forty nine percent that have not yet returned fear that it's going to have a negative impact on their mental health and then you know this this is the employees I can imagine part of that is uh, you know struggling with trying to figure out how do you navigate some of these very delicate family situations that have been really uprooted during the pandemic. Um, a lot of stressors, you know, schools shutting down, homeschooling in a lot of cases, a lot of uncertainty, a lot of concerns about not only the children, but also older relatives that may be in the home. I mean, There's just a lot of stressors that people are struggling with right now.
0: When you when you talk about, the, when you look at the employers and you, Mention what employees are thinking and potentially facing, so if you're an employer listening what what advice would you both give so that employers can be proactive to prepare or to address what's already going on? What, well, I mean,
2: um, yeah <laughs> um you know i've actually given this a lot of thought, and you know I do hear this a lot from. And I was speaking at a conference recently where a lot of our clients were coming up to me and asking me how they can prepare for this. And, you know, my my first thought is be really clear about your reasons for having people to go back to the office. I think what we're seeing a lot in the – at least in the news right now with some of this, this uh, pushback is that there isn't really a clear message for why that's necessary across the board for employees. Like why – why are they doing a one-size-fits-all? I mean, sometimes they're using a hybrid approach, but they're doing the same hybrid approach for all their employees. And I think, you know, what we've learned, what I'm hearing from employees um, who have been off of work and are now going back to the office is this this um, sort of this disconnect that they're feeling about um, uh, you know, not having a focus as much on like a work-life family balance. And a lot of folks, that have uh, worked remotely have really leaned into that and have leaned into spending more time with their families and have realized that that's an important part of their you know, mental wellness and their family health. Um, and so when you're having this, this conversation about disrupting that again, um, you know, a lot of people are looking forward to going back. A lot of people are really not looking forward to going back. And I think, you know, any type of solution you're going to have really needs to tailor it almost to the individual um, and really focus on what does the individual need. And I think that really starts with conversations, even at the supervisor level or the manager
1: level, to really yeah. communicate
2: and find out, Yeah. You
1: know. Yeah. I would even say, Mark, um, what proactive steps, I would say allow enough time for employees to prepare, Right. Yeah, so don't just yeah. bring it on, hey, you know, May 15th, we're all going back, right? Right, <laughs> right. time right. to allow employees to prepare and get ready for their life. Um, you know, there's daycare, transportation, clothing. A lot of people are saying, oh, my God, I don't fit in my clothes, my work clothes anymore. <laughs> right. Yeah, I don't. And so... Be welcoming, and most of all, I think the key, and you said it many times without saying the word, is be flexible. It's not a one-size-fits-all.
2: Yeah, it's not. You know, when I've talked to other, other managers about this, and this is something we're even doing at our company, is really focusing on getting to um, the colleagues' experience of this and understanding what their emotional temperature is. Um, And the only way to really do that is to talk about what they're feeling rather than focusing on their thoughts and their ideas about returning to the office and that disruption, but get to the feelings of it even. Um, I'd certainly love to see a time where we normalize talking about feelings in the workplace. I think think that's coming, um, and I think it's a necessary business step.
0: Mark, you lead kind of into the next, I think, piece of this and talking about whether you're an employer or you're an employee listening to this today. You know, when we say, what are some exercises, activities, uh, things that that can be uh, positioned or done to drive resilience, to sharpen focus, you know, boost our mood? We talked about how do you feel today, uh, wellness, support, a lot of things to look at there, but uh, from, you know, from both of you, tips, ideas, things that you're seeing that are being successful if you've already talked to some employers or just uh, that, that we should think about as we get ready to address this?
1: I'll, Dr. Bartlett, I'm
0: going to let
2: Yeah, go first yeah. on that one. I know you've got great ideas on that.
1: So um, we know that lots of people have had trauma in their past. And maybe at risk of lower resilience because of that. So one thing is never underestimate the power of social engagement and how great connection can feel to the human experience. Um, Many employers are now actually investing in resilience interventions and they're looking to create things like learned optimism and health-seeking behaviors in their populations. And um, they do this by – and, Jonathan, by the way, Sedgwick is a great example of this in our headquarters building when you think about it. But they do it by providing physical activities at work, such as a gym or access to nearby gyms, dance classes teaching meditation, running, you know, webinars on promoting healthy eating. Even the power of play is one of the hugest things that can impact um, how to support wellness and productivity and boost focus and mood. Things like board games, card games, pool tables, foosball tables, video games, and even um, providing green space for people to take quiet walks or a chance to meditate quietly somewhere. All of these are really great activities that can drive resilience.
2: I think that's a really good point. I, I love what you said at the beginning where a lot of a lot of innate resilience, what we talked about is innate resilience, a lot of it's really formed by childhood experiences. I mean, there's a genetic component, obviously, and some people are more resilient than others naturally, but a lot of it's really shaped early on. Um, but one thing that we've, we've noticed is when we've been through traumas later in life, they do have sort of a compound effect on your overall resilience. We saw this after 9-11. We saw this during the AIDS crisis. We saw this, and, and we're seeing this now with the pandemic. And I think in general, it's probably safe to say that people are a lot less resilient than they were two and a half years ago just by going through this, the day-to-day stressors of this. Um, and that's something that I think employers uh, really need to keep in mind, that uh you know, it's not the same work group that, we, that you interacted with two and a half years ago. People have changed. We, we've all changed as a result of this, and there's no way around that. Um, and, you know, there's a sense of community with that, which can be very supportive and, and nourishing. But it's also, you know, we're, a lot of folks are really kind of tapped out. Um, and so adding additional stressors or, or punitive things about, you know, either go back to work on May 15th or else type messages, I think people are going to walk. Um, or a lot of people will choose to, you know, check out um, rather than take on another stressor because they don't have that resilience that they did two and a half years ago uh, because of this collective trauma that we've all experienced.
0: I I will interject just a, a, a little bit. I, I go to a lot of events or have been going this year as things have come back. I will say there has been nothing like seeing the joy on people's faces when they see each other after a lot of times, two and a half years right. of right. their type don't... things, and yeah, so I think I'm hopeful. Of course, I'm an extrovert. That's no surprise <laughs> to <at laughs> anyone that knows me. So it's been mentally difficult for me to be more isolated. So I, I yeah. think to your part point, Mark is right. An employer probably has to just again, it's not one size fits all for any of us. So it may be, that's probably very challenging to a lot of employers who are used to having, you know, slots that we, things need to fit in. So flexibility seems to be the big word, right?
2: Yeah, yeah. Flexibility, is, flexibility is key, and it goes beyond just, you know, pizza in the break room. I mean, you need to you need to have other ways to entice people. I mean, I love the list of uh, examples that we do at the corporate office that you shared, Dr. Bartlett. I, and I think, you know, those types of things make going back to the office appealing and um, exciting for a lot of folks. But you also have to combat that, you know, not everyone is an extrovert and thrives on um, – you know, that type of um, energy either. Some people really do enjoy nesting at home and enjoy quiet times with their family and enjoy um, not having a 10-hour uh, commute time during the week, which is my experience. So, um, you know, it's, it's, it's one of those things where, you know, there's a lot of advantages to working from home, and, um, but there's a lot of disadvantages too. And one of them is the lack of social connection. Um, but you know, what have we been doing in the last two years? I mean, as a lot of us have, you know, switched from working in an office to working from home. We've actually developed some creative ways to stay connected, um, through social media, through Zoom calls, video chats, uh virtual uh you know, water cooler discussions, you know, all those things. Um, it's not the same. It's not the same as seeing people face to face or, you know, going out for coffee with a colleague or you know, those types of interactions. But it is important and I think there are ways even if employers choose to allow folks to remain working from home even on a permanent basis um, or come into the office infrequently I think there's still ways that they can um, you know continue with engaging people um, in, in a social way and that can be very nourishing for them and, and help with mental wellness so
0: let's let's flip it over to you dr Bartlett and and this ties into I guess you know the best way to say it is self care What does that mean when people are hearing you need to practice self care what What does that mean for
1: someone i know <laughs> that is that is the question a lot of a lot of people wonder about, and the answer is it can be anything you want it to be um you know what makes you happy and different for everyone? It could be ten minutes of meditation. It could be you call a friend or a family member, Uh, you read a book or you sleep in, you get a massage, you play sports, uh, go for a walk. You know, it's really whatever grounds you. Um, And sometimes that's just keeping a journal of positive things that you're thinking or that have happened to you so that when you notice. You're feeling a little bit anxious or stressed. You can read the journal and it kind of floods you back with positive emotions but self care is what makes you happy. Some people it's playing a game, other people it's watching television um it's it walking your dog, whatever right it's just um it's not the same thing for everyone.
0: Mark, any additional thoughts there?
2: No, I just love hearing. I love hearing you talk about self-care because you're absolutely right. It really is an individual thing. Um, I mean, we can we can talk all about mindfulness and meditation and yoga and exercise and, you know, one thing that we hadn't touched on already but is really important for folks to to really focus on is the benefits of good sleep. Um, and, and we call it sleep hygiene but uh, you know really focusing on good sleep because uh, you know if you're tired or um, not getting enough sleep or good quality sleep that's going to affect not only your um, physical health but it's definitely going to affect your emotional health and so that's something I would just you know throw in there as an additional uh, thing I think sleep probably is something that applies to, <laughs> applies to all of us um, you know, Sports and, and spending time with family and other forms of entertainment I think are um, very individualized. But, uh, but definitely the, the running theme is what, what sparks joy for you um, and, and lean into that. Um, we've been acting sort of as a nation on a, sort of a deprivation stance uh, the last couple of years. And I think people are just itching to really enjoy life again and, um, and, and be nourished by that. I think that's just very important.
0: Well, and and with that, as we turn toward the future, what are some interesting tools, trends that that you both see evolving, both for ourselves and as employers?
1: I would just like to mention is um, a recent trend. The latest thing that I've seen is uh, micro mindfulness and. Uh, you know, we can all talk about mindfulness and living in the moment and being present. Much easier to talk about than do. Um, but micro-mindfulness is a tool that can be used throughout the day when you feel yourself kind of growing with anxiousness or you're stressed or you're getting angry. And it involves the power of touch. So maybe something as simple as putting your hand on your heart when you start to feel anxious and taking a breath and feeling that breath go into your body and using it as an opportunity to reset just very quickly in the moment. Um, And it's a way of grounding yourself um, so that you can take that panic and worry out of the moment, because you know grounding is one of my favorite things, and maybe the whole audience here doesn't understand what grounding is, but grounding is exactly what it sounds like it's touching the ground um, and i've I've had uh, people call me in states where they were so anxious and uh, you know they're crying and carrying on, and I, I'm I'm like, can you go outside? Do you have grass outside? Yes, I do. Walk outside, sit on the grass, just sit there. Do you see anything on the grass? Do you see a blade of grass? Do you see an ant? And within moments, they're out of the panic. Because when you focus on the here and now and live in that very moment of watching an ant, you um, it's hard to be panicked about the future or the past. And so, those are two things that I would say are really uh, nice trends that I'm seeing more and more of. The I love micro and- I, I mindfulness.
2: Thank you so much for bringing that up. Yes, it's. It's absolutely true, and this is something that, um, you know, we've been using um, for people that are experiencing panic attacks or anxiety attacks is just kind of like a quick reset, like really focus on – and it it doesn't have to be – if you're working in an office, you can't exactly go outside and touch the grass, but but there is something about sitting in a chair and feeling your feet on the floor and feeling your back on the chair and really – putting your focus and attention on your physical body and the physical sensations that you're having. Um, and there's whole sorts of mindfulness techniques you can do that if you have more time, but, but just at the bottom line, I mean, get into the physical and that can really um, stop um, this ruminating thoughts that some people have when they get an anxiety attack. Um, you know, another thing, like a trend, and this is something that three years ago was almost, um, was almost one of these things that a lot of therapists really feared was this idea of virtual therapy um, through Zoom or through, you know, all these other technologies, FaceTime, whatever. um, This idea of virtual therapy, like three years ago, a lot of therapists really were resistant to that. And during the pandemic, um, we saw a huge spike in that. And I'll tell you, I mean, just talking to even just therapist friends right now that, It's a godsend. I mean, just the people don't cancel appointments. They can do therapy from their smartphone in a lot of cases uh, or a laptop or a tablet. Um, And just the accessibility of it, um, even for people that live in rural areas that don't have access to therapists within 100 miles, um, just that connection and that immediacy of virtual therapy or telemed. Um, it is a trend that um, I think is here to stay. I mean, I, I'm, I'm pleased that it, the mental health community has embraced it because um, it was certainly a necessary thing during the pandemic. But it's definitely, um, I don't even know if you call it a trend anymore. It's sort of a, a standard right now. And so I, I don't think that's going to go away anytime soon. I, I'm glad of it, too.
1: I would also add, um, just for trends, um, Jonathan and Mark, um, virtual reality, we're seeing a lot of that emerge in the marketplace. You know, VR to help with depression and just a lot of different tools emerging through virtual reality. And the other thing that, that I see and I use a lot is app technology. There's a number of free apps in the marketplace that Allow that will interact with you. So if you have depression or anxiety, these apps, if you allow it, they'll reach out and say, Hey, how are you doing today? You know, rate your, rate your anxiousness or what, what one good thing happened. So they try to help you flip the switch of negative thoughts into more positive thoughts. And um, I think we'll see more and more of that uh, evolve as the years go on.
2: Yeah, I think so, too. And I think part of with the, the VR stuff, I'm at least some of the vendors I've talked to would also include, like, some biofeedback, um, uh, wearable technology as well to provide even a therapist um, additional information about someone's um, arousal states during an anxiety attack or or helping with phobias and that sort of thing so
0: um, yeah i I do think that that's
2: something we're going to see a lot more of in the years to come
0: well as we wrap it up and and get ready to close out uh, as an employer listening to us what resources are there what can employers do to create or improve uh, that culture that prioritizes employees mental health as we we look at 2022 into 2023, transitioning back again to whatever the new normal is. So final thoughts from, uh, uh, we'll start with you, Mark, and close that with Dr. Bartlett.
2: Well, I mean, when I think of employer benefits, I mean, the first thing that comes to mind is employee assistance um, or EAP or sometimes member assistance program. Here at Sedgwick, we call it a colleague assistance program Something like that, um, whether it has, um, you know, a short-term counseling model available to it. What we're seeing a lot more now is, um, you know, some alternatives to that on mental wellness uh, focus, the overall mental wellness for you and your family. Um, but I think that's a benefit that a lot of employers are, are providing now, um, and, uh, you know, as an employer, it's... It's very important that you make sure that your employees are aware that that benefit exists if you do offer that. Um, Just provide them with information about it, and don't do it just once a year. I mean, do it, you know, quarterly or or monthly just to remind, like, hey, this is something that's still available to you because you're paying for the benefit. You want people to use the benefit, and you want them to use it before they would tap into other um, more expensive benefits, maybe like health insurance or something like that. Um, but, yeah, definitely um, employee assistance is the one that comes to mind first for me. How about you, Dr. Bartlett?
1: Um, I would say, yeah, absolutely, EAP, you know, take advantage of that. Um, I think employers um, need to leverage telemedicine as much as possible. You mentioned, Mark, that that has really been an emerging um, trend among providers. So ensure that that's an offering for your employees. Um, Offer some sort of uh, meditation app um, to help people stay mindful and in the present. Um, Always wellness activities pay off through contests. But the most important thing, the most important thing I would say that employers can do is listen to their employees and remain flexible and meet them where they are.
0: I agree. That's great. Well said. <laughs> yep. Very, very true. Well, thank you both for your time today. This is amazing and just, I, I think, it will be very helpful whether you're an employer or an, an employee, colleague looking to return to work in, a, in the new normal. So uh, thank you both. Uh, you can always find out more information about Sedgwick at www.sedgwick.com. And, and Dr. Bartlett and Mark are, are both actively uh, being quoted in many resources. And you can find that also on, on Sedgwick as well and, and hear all their latest comments and resources as you stay up to date. So thank you both for being with us today.
1: Thank you, Jonathan. Thank you.
0: Thanks, Jonathan.